Uh, good morning, Gateway. If you're watching at home and you have never been with us before, my name is Ed and I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. Uh, watching that video um, reminds me that uh, there's a reason dinosaurs went extinct. Anyway, um, uh, this is Jeff Janney, for those of you who don't know Jeff. And uh, Jeff, you are a giver. And thank you. You have um, you've given to me many times, personally. So you've been part of, you were telling me a couple of weeks ago, you have been part of a business organization that right. kind of promotes this. So tell me a little bit about, about that organization, about your participation in it. Sure. The organization is called BNI, and it stands for Business Network International. And their motto is Giver's Gain. So a few weeks ago, Ed was throwing out that Giver's Gain. So I'd mention it to him, and be careful what you mention to your pastor or you end up up here. <laughs> um, so basically, it's a business networking group that they're called chapters, and they're literally all over the, the world. Um, so I belong to a chapter um, from 2012 until 2019, and it was about 25 business owners or sales, sales folks, and you would share leads um, or referrals, they call them, with each other from your network of friends and of uh, associates or businesses, clients. So it's essentially a networking group that just tries to encourage givering. Correct. Okay. So the, the goal when I was part of it was 1.6 million with 25 to 30 members. And I just visited it uh, last week as a guest, and they're up to $2 million now that they refer each year. Wow. Um, so the interesting about it, interesting about it is they, uh, they track everything. And I was considered an average member. Um, so, so here are the stats. Uh, and these are your stats, personally? These are my stats. Okay. I, I was still able to get onto the website and okay. find my stats. All right. So I had 157 one-to-ones, which means that's uh, a meeting that I had with other members to get to know them and their business to see if there was a connection that I could help them okay. with. I brought 124 visitors, and some of those visitors are in this room because I was always <laughs> grabbing people, yawn, and, and uh, just a lot of people. Uh, Pastor Alex came, um, and then I received 81 referrals from others. So that's somebody who put someone onto your business as somebody you might. Uh, this would be, yes, yes. Someone turned me on to someone that yeah. might need my commercial landscape okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. business. So 81 referrals. Um, I gave 158 referrals to others. As a giver. As a giver. <laughs> I received $58,657 in closed business from others. Really? And then I referred to others $217,913 of closed business. Oh my gosh. Wow. So, uh, and that's, I'm below average, really, within the group. Some gave, gave um, much more. Um, so what have I learned? Yeah, what, what, through this, what did you learn? Um, I think uh, that giving is a rip, has a ripple effect. When you give, it encourages others to give and gift, and that gift can be ongoing and last into the future. 
You, you here's, told me this morning, right? Here's, here's why. So from that group, I continue to receive about $7,000 a year in revenue from clients that I receive that's ongoing, whether it's snow or maintenance or whatever. And then the group continues to receive from me, even though I'm gone, about $20,000 a year in closed business because it was reoccurring. Wow, that's awesome. All right, Jeff, why don't you, I mean, obviously we're talking about generosity, so um, if you would, uh, kick us off today with our passage, and it's a great one, and uh, Jeff's going to read for us 2 Corinthians chapter 9, so if you have a Bible, it's toward the back, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 10, and uh, let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word. You'll find it on your Bible app. It's also on mygateway.life on the sermon card, and it will be on the screen. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through 10. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase their store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of their righteousness. Father, uh, thank you so much for your generosity to us, for a blessing us for scattering seed in our lives. And I pray that you will continue to help us grow in our giving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, Jeff. You may be seated. Had an opportunity uh, yesterday, um, and, well, actually over the last couple of days, uh, Ina York has a, a board and uh, they met by Zoom over the last few days, and uh, I just want to thank you. Um, Gateway gave very generously to Ina, and shockingly so. For those of you who don't know about that, then ask me about it later. And uh, Ina was blown away, and very, very blessed. And that, that blessing is going to redound to others, uh, literally, perhaps for generations. We've been talking about the generous life. For the last four weeks. Today is the last week and week five. And for our curriculum, you may remember from week one, we have said our curriculum would be God's Word, the Bible, which it always is. And we've used as our curriculum off and on through this series of conversations a book by a business professor, a guy named Adam Grant. It's not a Christian book. Um, part of the reason for that is uh, he's done extensive research, extensive research demonstrating that uh, what Jesus told us is actually the case. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So today we want to end by talking about how to grow as a thoughtful giver. How to grow as a thoughtful giver. Now, you may remember that uh, Adam Grant, in his book, he identifies, this is not his thinking, but he works with this. This is his framework. He identifies three reciprocity styles, reciprocity relating to one another, transacting, engaging one another, how you do relationships. 
he's identified three styles of relating. He calls those takers. They like to get more than they give. They tilt reciprocity in their own favor always, always looking for the absolute best deal. And then there are matchers. Matchers operate on the principle of fairness. Their relationships are governed by even exchanges of favors. Most of us are matchers. And then finally, givers. Givers are others-focused. They tend to provide support with no strings attached. So I want you to hear one more time from David Hornick. If you've been with us over these weeks, you will remember that uh, David is a, a venture capitalist. He lives in Silicon Valley, and he has uh, invested in many of the uh, social media and tech stocks that drive our world today. And David has been very, very successful. And he's done so as a giver, and extraordinarily so. I ran into David because he's one of the superheroes from Adam Grant's book. Adam uses him as an example of what giving can do and what giving can be. So I asked David Hornick, he doesn't know me from Adam's house cat, and I asked David if uh, I could interview him, and he said, as a giver, he said yes. So today we're going to hear a couple of times <clears throat> from David, and I want you to hear, first of all, uh, from him early in our conversation. He's going to set up our topic today, <clears throat> and I asked him about, you know, the American business environment, and he riffs on that a little bit and sets up our idea of how to grow as a thoughtful giver. So let's watch uh, David Hornick. David, do you think American work culture favors or rewards any one of the reciprocity styles over another? Well, Adam's book, Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, was entirely intended to answer that question. And one of the things that's amazing about Adam, he is, he is an encyclopedic font of research. Every time I have a question and I say to Adam, like, hey, I was thinking about this thing and I wonder if what's true, Adam would say, well, there've been three studies on this and here's what it is. I mean, it's just amazing. In fact, I was, I was recently in a meeting. That he has that at his fingertips is the amazing thing. Just, he just has it. I literally, do you know, this is me, me not being a giver, this is me being a taker. I was in a meeting and I, I made a statement that was a bold assertion and it was about, you know, givers do X and, um, and the person I was meeting with said, oh, is that true? And I said, huh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> Let's ask the expert. I said, I said, but let me text Adam Grant. And so I texted Adam, you know, like I happen to have an expert right here. And sure enough, Adam responds minutes later with, you know, that's a really good question. And yes, in fact, it is true. And here are the three studies that support it, right? <laughs> so, so that's the fun of being, you know, friends with Adam. But in the book, Give and Take, he, his entire question is, look, we would all think to ourselves, wouldn't you rather a planet where being a giver was rewarded, right? Where you could be someone who is giving and therefore will be more successful in whatever, by whatever measure that is because you've been that person. Well, it turns out, as Adam points out, the answer is yes, right? That is true that building relationships and community and being a helper and helping others to be successful in the long run is more helpful and more makes you more successful than if you were doing the alternative. But there's a big but. And the big but is 
if you don't think about the repercussions of that, if you are, if you simply give and give and give and give, you could find yourself actually being the least successful, right? And so you need to be a thoughtful giver. You can't be selfless. You have to be thoughtful about the process. And that's a tricky, you know, calculus. So how do we grow as a thoughtful giver? I think it's possible to summarize God's counsel on that question in one phrase. And I think, I think uh, Paul highlights that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I think, we can, I think we can summarize God's counsel on how to grow as a thoughtful giver with one phrase. Just do it. Right? In the Bible, we are inspired to give, encouraged to give, commanded to give. We're shown examples of giving. In fact, God himself shows us his own generous nature, and we need all of that. We need to continually do that for one another. But in the end, we must decide to give and then do it. Or as Paul put it, each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give. In one Old Testament passage, the Israelites are chided by the prophet Malachi for not giving. God even says that they are, listen to this, robbing him. At one point, God's spirit is speaking through Malachi and he says, God says, test me in this. Go ahead and give and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. This is literally the only time in all of Scripture that God says to test him in something, and it's around this area of giving. Now, of course, that phrase, just do it, we're very familiar with that in our culture because it's Nike's slogan. And it's interesting to me the way Nike uses that slogan. Nike doesn't use that slogan to guilt people into action. It's meant to inspire. In effect, Nike is saying, look, you, you know you want to do it. You know you feel better when you do. You know that it's good for you, so just do it. This is exactly what Paul is trying to communicate to these Corinthians and to us. Hey, you've heard about this need. You know you want to give. Just do it. Decide what you want to give and give it. Now, clearly, he's speaking, first of all, against haphazard giving which we sometimes can fall into. This is decided giving. Paul isn't thinking about us walking down the street in D.C. and saying, oh, there's a homeless person, I should give something. Or, oh, I'm in church, I think there's $5 in my wallet. This is not haphazard giving. Plus, this is not casual giving. This is not, oh, oh, okay, I guess I'll sign up to be the treasurer for the troop. I mean, how hard can that be? Or this isn't, uh, oh, here's an ugly chair that we hate. Hey, why don't we give it to our neighbor? This is, this is, this is the, uh, decided, intentional giving. Paul is talking about something that is decided and then executed. In fact, uh, in the Greek, which this letter was originally written in Greek, the word is proereomai. The Greek-English dictionary renders that to decide beforehand, right? Decide what you want to give and then give it. Just do it. And I love the way Paul sets this up in verse 6 that Jeff just read for us. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Seriously, I want you, you're an ancient Near Eastern farmer. I want you to grab your bag. So even if you're at home, hold your arm out like this. Grab your bag, grab your bag. You're in your field. Grab your bag, reach in, throw your seed on the ground, and don't scrimp when you do so. 
scatter seed generously. No farmer thinks of the seed as a, thinks of throwing seed, sowing seed as a loss of seed because the harvest will provide the seed for the upcoming season. Therefore, no sower begrudges the seed that she scatters on the ground. No farmer tries to scrimp on the seed that she sows because if the farmer scrimps on the seed she sows, she cheats herself. The same principle for giving. When we scrimp on giving, when we go cheat, when we try to steal all the credit, when we tilt reciprocity in our favor, we are, we are actually sowing sparingly. We're cheating ourselves. But when we, when we sow generously, when we give generously, we will reap generously. So how do we grow as thoughtful givers? Well, we just do it. We step into our giving nature. We decide where we're going to give, and then we give. We, we give our time to others at work. We give our time to the neighborhood, to the soccer team, to the scouts. We, we give our talent and our energy to our coworkers, to, to school, to a friend in need. We don't ask for anything in return. And we give credit to others. We make room for others. And we give our money in God-honoring causes that inspire us, causes that we believe in. The way to grow as a giver is just do it. Decide to give and then give. Don't hold back. And you will be blessed in exactly the way that most suits you. That's the promise. You will be blessed in exactly the way that most suits you. All right. I know that raises a lot of questions. Really? Is that true? What do you mean? I'll be blessed. What do you mean in a way that most suits me? I, I'm not going to answer all of those questions right now. What I want you to hear is that a massive amount of research, and this is one of the reasons that we've used this, a massive amount of research confirms this line of thinking. That's a significant part of the reason for this whole series of conversations. It is an exclamation point on the direction that I think God is taking Gateway. I've tried to speak very pointedly and specifically over these five weeks to our skepticism and to any hesitancy we have. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we've cited research nearly every week confirming that truth. So let's just do it. And all God's people said. Okay. So having established the key principle here, let's, uh, let's build some helpful guardrails that help us move down this giving path. There are two guardrails that we should erect in our attempt to just do it. One of these guardrails will help us move forward as a giver, and the other will help us give sustainably and healthily. So on the one side of our giving effort, let's practice other-mindedness. This moves us along as a giver. And then on the other side, let's protect our giving heart. This helps prevent burnout. So on the one side, Practicing other-mindedness. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, other-mindedness, remember, that's the essence of giving. As we said, givering, being a giver, is other-focused. That's what giving is. And it turns out that this is something we can practice. Listen, don't snooze on that. We can get better at being other-minded. 
I mean, in part, that's why we're having these conversations to remind us and to encourage us to grow in this area. Look, God inspires our giving, and then we learn and we lean in obediently and we follow. We just do it. God inspires it. We do it. And in our effort to grow in just doing it, we can practice other-mindedness. I'm restating. So let me explain some more. We've alluded to a number of different kinds of giving as we've talked over these last weeks. We've, we've, we, we can volunteer our time. We can, we can give our expertise. We can give money to God-honoring causes. Well, another way that we can be a giver is to be the kind of person that creates space for other people or to be the kind of person who gives credit to others, who's not always looking for, for credit for themselves. According to research, takers tend to be people who want maximum credit. you got to hear this. For example, in Hollywood, which some would call the penultimate taker industry, between the years, for example, 1993 and 1997, those four years, more than one-third of all the screenplays that were written went to credit arbitration. <laughs> in other words, of all the screenplays that were presented during those four years, in more than one-third of them, there was a fight about who should get credit and how much credit they should get for writing the screenplay. Researchers call this the responsibility bias. In effect, we tend to think that we are more responsible for a thing than we actually are. They've done extensive research in marriages, for instance, across many cultures, asking couples in various ways, uh, how much do you think you do in the relationship? How much are you responsible for of the total work that's done in this relationship? How much are you responsible for? And consider everything. Consider the emotional weight of the relationship. Consider um, taking out the trash, making the money, paying the bills, everything that happens in this relationship. How much of that do you think that you are responsible for? And researchers Michael Ross and Fiore Sicoli found that Three-fourths of couples, actually a little more than three-fourths of couples, when they're asked this question, their total adds up to significantly more than 100%. <laughs> In other words, the wife says, oh, I'm responsible for 80% of the work. Husband asked independently, oh, I'm responsible for 80% of the work. They do 160% of the work in their relationship. <laughs> The same thing happens in work settings. Repeatedly across cultures, when employees are asked to weigh how much they contribute to various tasks or various projects, they, they, uh, the, the total amount of work that's done on that project evidently amounted to a whole lot more than 100%. But listen to this. This is an incredible little wrinkle. When employees are instructed to think about how much their bosses contribute to their work before they're asked how much they contributed to the task, their estimate of the contribution of others goes up from 17% to 33%. Just by being asked before they're asked how much did you contribute, just by being asked that question, just by being asked the question, how much did your boss contribute to your success, to your effort, just by thinking about that question, their estimate of the impact of others, of the effort that others gave to this task, went from 17% to 33%. Again, that change results 
just by being asked beforehand to think about the input of someone else. Evidently, we can practice other-mindedness. We can get better at this, and this practice will keep our giver impulse growing and moving forward. It's a very helpful guardrail. Remember Paul said, each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give, meaning we're to be active participants in this, not reluctantly. For God loves a cheerful giver, Paul said. The word translated reluctantly here is the Greek word lupes, and it means, quote, a state of unhappiness marked by regret. Let's not have any regrets. And to accomplish that, we're going to have to get better at this. We need to practice other-mindedness. But this brings us to the other important guardrail. Remember, we have said that the key to growing as a thoughtful giver is to just do it. And just doing it healthily and thoughtfully involves establishing these two guardrails. On the one side, we need to practice other-mindedness. This keeps us moving forward as givers. However, when when we talk about practicing other-mindedness, it's equally important to distinguish that from being selfless. Don't miss this. Did you catch that? Other-mindedness does not equal selflessness. This leads to the other guardrail, which is to protect your giver heart. Let me explain. You remember David Hornick's comment from that clip earlier? He said, there's a danger in being selfless. He actually contrasted selflessness with being thoughtful. So the idea behind practicing other-mindedness is to learn to think of others, to get better at thinking of others. It's not about me at all. It's about others. Let me put it another way. The aim is not to think less of myself. The aim is to think of myself less. The heart of givering is other-focused. And as we said, this is something we can practice. But there's a delicate balance, isn't there? It's also not healthy to forget about ourselves. That's, the aim. That's not the aim either. Again, the aim is about others. It's not about me. Not even less of me. This, is, this isn't about me, but I can't forget me. We have to take care of ourselves in order to take care of others. In another part of this conversation, uh, David Hornick was talking about uh, giver entrepreneurs that he's worked with over the years, and they're always very interested in, in inspiring and, and bringing others into the heart of their company. And one of the ways that they can do that is by giving away stock. But he said they have to be, you have to be very careful as a young entrepreneur because someone comes on and you, you, you want them to be in and you want, to, you want them to be part of it. And in your giver nature, you give 10% of your stock away. He says once you do that 10 times, there's no, there's no company left. You, you have to be thoughtful about that process. And that's a perfect illustration of our second guardrail. We have to protect our giver heart while giving. We have to take care of ourselves. I think, I think Paul's approach to uh, the, these Corinthians in this Second Corinthians passage is very interesting. The next time you read it, and I encourage you to go read this later, Second Corinthians chapter 9, the next time you read it, I want you to notice how gracious Paul was to the Corinthians. If you were here last week, we read a passage where Paul lays the hammer down. He said to Timothy about a group of Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus, he said, command those rich people to be generous and share their resources and their wealth. Well, those Ephesians were in a, a different 
situation, a different socioeconomic group than, than these Corinthians. You see, Paul was collecting money to help the Christian church in Jerusalem. That, that's what was going on here. And they were in desperate straits, and, and the rest of the ancient Near East knew about it, especially the Christians. Paul very much wanted the Corinthians to contribute to that collection, but he wanted them to contribute if, and only if, they wanted to do so. This wasn't a command. This wasn't even a challenge, really. This was a reminder and an encouragement and an offer. Listen, Corinthians, you know the need. It's profound. You know that you want to help. Decide what you want to give and do it. Don't act reluctantly. Consider how desperate their circumstances are. Think about your struggling brothers and sisters. Be other-minded, but don't do it under compulsion. Don't, don't be guilted into this by me or anyone else because God loves a cheerful giver. I want you uh, to listen to one more um, of a David Hornick clip as he kind of comments around this, around uh, he digs into this idea a little bit, and he talks, he doesn't use this language, but he talks about this second guardrail that we're setting up here. This is David. Adam Grant says that givers tend, can tend to drift toward burnout, always doing for others kind of thing. Uh, do you see that tendency in yourself, David? And uh, how do you protect against it? <laughs> Adam's book says a couple of things that are interesting and related. One of them is he says that givers work harder. They do more because they're inspired and engaged. And I remember saying to Adam, like, I, I get that. And I'm one of those people who just does more, like always do more. That's fine. But I said to him, maybe, maybe these people are successful because they do more, not because they're givers. And of course, Adam being Adam said, no, actually, there's a set of research that says that it's not sufficient to just do more. You have to be doing it because you're inspired. So the good news is that you're less likely to be burnt out if you actually care. Yeah, that's great. The bad news is, and I've learned this, if my care, natural inclination is to say yes. Like, okay, let's have this interview. Let's, I'll go and speak at this thing. I'll have, you know, I, I talk to students all the time and I want to give students as much of my time as I can. I teach, I, all these things. And my solution historically has been to sleep less, um, which works to a point. <laughs> but at some point I remember saying to myself, there's no less to sleep, right? I was <laughs> sleeping four hours a night. And there is no less to sleep. That's just a recipe for disaster. At which point I said, okay, I have to recalibrate my yes. I can't just say yes and sleep less. Um, and there are those who can't recalibrate and they, and, and they you know, immolate. <laughs> and then, but I've luckily been able to over time to, to adjust and say, hey, listen, I can't do that, but I can answer your email. I can't do that, but I can be helpful in other ways. I think David offers a couple of really awesome practical things for us. Uh, so remember our two guardrails to just do it principle, practice other-mindedness and protect your giver heart. We're not to give under compulsion. God 
God cares about how we're doing in our giving. Remember, he loves a cheerful giver. And I, and I thought David's practical hints for protecting our giver heart were terrific. First of all, lean into what you care about. Did you hear him hint that? Adam Grant, the expert, told David that research shows people are more likely to be successful and less likely to burn out when they care. So lean into what you care about. This helps protect our giver heart. All right, I, uh, let me, as an aside, parentheses here, there, there are limitations to that. Uh, you're going to do some things that you're not absolutely fired up about. In fact, searching for your passion, which you've no doubt, especially if you're young in your career, you've heard that. Uh, that can actually be paralyzing for people. I've, I've talked to a number of folks here at Gateway early in their careers looking for their passion, and, and it's paralyzing. But you really can find efforts or causes or themes that you care about and lean into those. Let me give some examples. Let's take scouting, for instance. Very, very few people help with scouts because they just love to go camping in the freezing rain in March. Oh, the joy of eating bad hot dogs and getting soaked to the bone for three days without a shower. Give me more of that. Very few people feel passionate about that. But you lean into scouting because you want to see your child's character develop in certain ways, and this is an organization that moves aggressively in that direction. You care about that, so lean in. That means you're going to end up doing a few things that you don't care so much about, but your giver heart will actually grow through it because you care so deeply about the larger concern. By the way, it's just like that with church. Don't snooze yet. Most people don't serve at church because they care so deeply about keeping third, third graders' hands off of one another and keeping them from talking about poop. No, you don't care about that. But, but you do care about connecting with others who are trying to love God. And you care about providing a place where your neighbor and their family can hear God's story effectively. You care so much about that that you're willing to do a few things that you don't care so much about it about. And through it all, your giver heart is expanded. You don't burn out. Lean into what you care about. Lean into God's causes. The second thing David talked about was, I love this phrase, recalibrating your yes. There's only so much yes to go around. I'm reminding you what you already know. Whenever we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to something else. It is not physically possible to say yes to everything. So we have to constantly recalibrate our yes so that it represents what's best, what is most nearly aligned with our real concerns and priorities, what is most in agreement with God's heart and with God's vision for us. Recalibrate your yes. All right. In summary, clearly some of us need to, at this point, some of us need to get off of the couch. We need to re-engage. Our giver heart has shut down over the last 18 months, and it's time to just do it. It's time to start giving. Specifically, it may be time to practice some other-mindedness. Whoa, stop. What's going on around me? Where are the needs around me? How can I step in? For others of us, we may need to edit 
We may need to recalibrate our yes to rethink about our involvements. Maybe we need to rethink what we care about and then lean in more fully there. Get invested more fully there. Some of you are at the very beginning of that process with Gateway. Step in. Lean in. Find the place to give. Several places to give. Um, One last observation before we stop. Uh, an observation of Dr. Grant's and the Apostle Paul's that I think it's worth talking about here. Uh, Adam Grant cites considerable research around what he calls, Jeff's word from earlier, uh, Grant calls it the ripple effect. In essence, there is a ripple effect of growth and group success that flows out from the effort of givers that you don't see from matchers and takers. He says that the networks surrounding givers are greatly benefited by their activity. I don't think Dr. Grant uh, is a believer, even though he's done an admirable job job of proving Jesus was right. And and if he's not a believer, he, he won't come to what is the real conclusion to this entire topic. You see, that ripple effect happens because that's the way God designed us. That's the impact of his activity in us and through us. That's the way he built the universe to operate. Ultimately, we are are blessed. Those around us are blessed, and he is glorified. And I want you to listen to how Paul describes this ripple effect. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come if they would. And uh, you guys, let's let's, uh, wrap this up by once again standing out of reverence for God's Word, and we're going to look at the last few verses of this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and listen to the ripple effect. I'm beginning in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that You can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform isn't only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And, And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I pray that you will continue to build in us a, a group of people here who uh, create a ripple, a kingdom ripple uh, that will spill out into uh, one another's lives and to the lives of our neighbors and our co-workers and, and our family members, Lord, that spill into the lives of our children and then that will ripple into the lives of others that they know and that in turn will result in, in your praise and your honor and your glory as we're blessed and they're blessed and you're glorified. Thanks be to you for your indescribable gift. Thanks for the privilege of imitating you and being a giver. And Lord, um, strengthen us, inspire us, loosen our hands, 
and help us to just do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.